I love stories. Do you like stories? Good. Sure. <laughs> it's like, sure is the answer you give someone where it's just like, I do like stories, but I don't want to tell you that. Um, I don't trust you quite yet. That's okay. Uh, so I, there's a story that's one of my favorite stories, and it's about this, this uh, oppressive regime. And it's spreading across every known part of the world, and it just wants order. It's seeking control, and through control, it thinks it can bring peace to every, every part of the world. And so it tells people how to live their lives. It puts them in prison if it goes against these sort of things. Um, but yet through that, through that oppression, they're able to find a sort of peace. But oppression or peace from oppression doesn't last very long. And so over time, people begin to say, you know what, this is terrible. We can't live the way our lives the way we want to live our lives. We can't, you know, be with who we want to be with. We can't live the way we want to live. You know, they take our money, they take our land, they take our freedoms. This isn't acceptable. We have to get rid of this terrible regime. And so they start developing a way of resisting this regime. And so it's a small group of people, but over time, they get more and people kind of joining along with them. And this evil regime tries to stop this resistance from growing. And yet it gets more and more people coming to it. It begins attracting, you know, different kinds of, of people with different backgrounds, different heritages, different races, all that sort of stuff. Um, and they begin fighting against this big regime. But the regime is just too big. It's massive. It's spread across the entire galaxy. They can't deal with it. And while this is happening, the youth of this generation that starts this resistance begins saying, well, I want to fight too. I want to fight. And the ones running the resistance say, no, you can't fight. You're too young. You're unqualified. We can't lose you. You're too precious to us. And there's this one boy. He's a farm boy. He lives on a farm. And he says, I want to go fight like my father fought. And eventually he runs into a fellow who will say, you know what, you should fight for what's important to you. And together they get on a spaceship called the Millennium Falcon. And <laughs> I'm not going to say the rest because that will spoil it. But that's the power of stories, right? Is you change the names, you change the places, you change some characteristics around it, and it can be powerful. It can take you on a whole new journey that you hadn't been before. And if you're anything like me, you've seen Star Wars a million times. Um, and I, maybe that's not the same for all of you, I'm sure, but we could pick any other story, and, and, you know, I could probably do something similar with it. I think the movie was called A New Faith or something. Um, <laughs> so my sermon, like I said earlier, is about faith. Does anyone have an idea or want to define for me what faith is? A lot of nervous texting. Believing what you don't see. Anyone else have any thoughts? I'm not looking for a gotcha. I'm not trying to trap you. Pastors like trapping people sometimes in like little word games. I'm not trying to trap you. I'm just trying to involve you, you know? We're coming along as a family. <laughs> Certainty. And if you'd rather not engage with this conversation, you can turn to Hebrews 11, so you'll at least look busy. Uh, Hebrews 11 is what I'll be preaching out of this morning. Um, and I'm sorry, Naomi, I didn't warn you, but I'm pretty much just going through the whole thing. So it's, just type in Hebrews 11, and, 
and start rocking. So faith, or your faith, my faith, our faith, is very much a story. It's very much a story of, you know, ups and downs, maybe more downs than ups, maybe more ups than downs. I'm not sure. I know my story has mostly peace. I'm fortunate in that way. I'm privileged in that way to have been able to enjoy a pretty, you know, lucky lifestyle. My parents were together for most of my growing up years, and we went through periods of poverty. Um, I remember getting food given to us by the church because we couldn't afford food. But aside from that, for the most part, life was pretty good. But some of you have a much harder story than that. And in the midst of it, some of you have held to your faith. Some of you have maybe lost your faith. Some of you are still here this morning asking what faith is. But the wonderful thing about faith and the Bible is it actually gives us a definition of what faith is. And the world will say that faith, or not just the world, but people in general will say that faith is believing what you do not see. And I think that's perfectly legitimate definition. But the Bible has a slightly different one than that. Faith is a story of God's goodness, and it's at its most vibrant when it's spoken out loud and shared with others. You paint a picture with your life, a picture that is seen by others, a picture that is seen by your family, a picture that is seen by your enemies. But nonetheless, it's being painted by your actions, by your words, by your thoughts, and by your feelings. And for some people, that's really scary. <laughs> but I hope that this morning, that becomes a point of joy for you, that your faith is a story. So if you look with me at Hebrews, beginning of the chapter 11 in Hebrews, verse 1, we're going to read 1 to 7 in this first little chunk, so bear with me. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts and through his faith. Though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he could not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he commended the world, or sorry, condemned the world, pardon me, and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Uh, Naomi, I didn't tell you this, I'm going to tell you now, I will be preaching out of the ESV. So that way we get our, our words all lined up. Faith is an ability to see what is unseen. Blind faith 
is a term used by people who are antagonistic, maybe, <laughs> or resistant to religion, to Christianity in this context. They say it's blind faith. You don't see, and yet you believe for some reason, they would say, or something like that. I, I make a terrible atheist because, well, I grew up in a Christian home, and I, I'm not one, so I can't pretend to be one. But isn't that, I think that's an important paradigm shift. Faith is an ability to see what is unseen. It is not blind. It sees what others will not. It sees what others sometimes cannot. Faith is the substance just as our physical eyesight is the sense that gives us evidence of the material world, world, pardon me, faith is the sense that gives us evidence of the invisible spiritual world. Today, I didn't, I didn't teach my Sunday school class this morning. Ethan did. And he preached about condemnation versus conviction. Um, that's the spirit moving right there. I didn't tell him what to say. <laughs> Conviction leads people to great lengths, sometimes to the point of utter destruction. When someone's convinced of a bad idea, it'll play out in its bad circumstances. <laughs> sometimes we don't see the evidence before us, and our conviction leads us to walk off a bridge. <laughs> I, uh, I was a very clumsy child. Um, well, I should modify that. I'm a clumsy man. And I was also a clumsy child. Uh, my sister's here this morning, and she's already laughing because she knows that there's like 10,000 stories I could pull from here. Um, but when I was about 13 years old, I was playing on a playground. It had like this elevated platform. Back in my day, playgrounds were way more dangerous than they are now, and I'm sure some of you in this room could say likewise. Um, and I was playing on this playground, and the school bell rang. So everyone's going in from recess. Re recess. Recess. And I'm not paying attention. I just walk off a platform that's just elevated off the ground, and I fall. And you know that cartoon moment where a character's falling, and there's a branch, and the branch maybe contacts them in the groinal region? That happened to me. And so all the kids are running inside from recess, and I am on the ground in a very unreal amount of pain. I can't even say anything, and if you know anything about me, it's very hard to make me stop talking. And I'm just on the ground, like, in utter ruin. I can barely even get on my feet, and everyone's gone. So I'm, like, 500 yards from the school, just laying on the ground. My eyes shut so hard that I just see, like, white light, and I have to trudge my way back to the school, go into the washroom, and, well, things got worse. I won't go into detail there, but six stitches later, um, <laughs> I know, you know, I wasn't actually planning on telling that story this morning, and maybe I shouldn't have, but uh, it was really uh, embarrassing to tell your female vice uh, principal what happened on the playground that day, um, because then she said, well, can I see it? Um, <laughs> and I said, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I was convinced that I was safe. <laughs> I was convinced that what mattered more than my safety was getting back into class on time, and, well, I learned that sometimes a little bit of extra care is necessary um, on the playground. Uh, good advice to this day. 
But the wonderful thing about faith, this idea that we can see now what is unseen, is that it's not of your own making. So we are very privileged to live in North America, where we have all kinds of places where we get to learn from the age of five to the age of 17 or 18. You're pretty much mandated to be in school. And then for the most part, many of us end up in some sort of post-secondary after that, whether it's trade school or university or college. I went to Bible college, for example. And so we are exposed and have the opportunity to learn. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That's a fantastic thing. Because for most of that period, it's for free. <laughs> which is amazing. But that gives us this sense, I feel, where we as the individual are utterly 100% in, in control of what we believe and do not believe, what we can understand and cannot understand. And the reality is, that's just not true. If you are willing to come with me and agree that, yes, there is an unseen aspect to reality, then therefore it must be able to be perceived in some sense. You cannot accomplish it on your own because why? You can't see it. So if your eyes are to be opened, if you are able to glimpse the beginning of this amazing reality that is unseen, your eyes have to be opened. And what opens your eyes, anyone? Yeah. Ah. Jesus, the $100 uh, Sunday school answer. It's the Spirit. The Bible is clear on this, that through the Spirit, you come to belief. If you are sitting in a chair this morning, and if you've been to a church a million times, but yet you're still not quite in the place of belief, and yet your heart is speaking to you in this moment saying, maybe you should listen to what this pale man has to say, that is not me being clever, or Jerry being clever, or Ravi Zacharias being clever, or whomever. That is the Spirit giving them the ability to speak about what is unseen, and the Spirit giving you the ability to accept and receive it. Faith is hope, and without faith, it is impossible to please God, and he has given you the tool to please him. How do you please God? It is through faith. And if you're saying, if you're in a position this morning where you're saying, I have no faith left to give, then you need to release. You need to stop saying, I am the captain of my faith. I am the captain of my belief system. I am the captain of my steps. And you just say, no, God is God. Please help my unbelief because I need you. Because I am convinced there is unseen. And you can only point me to the truth of that unseenness. It's not a word, but it is now. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Does this mean that the one who doubts cannot please God? The answer is no. The one who doubts can still please God because even in your doubt, you're going to hang on to a single vestige of what God, love, what God has shown you, which is love. And that suffices. For out of that mustard seed, out of that small tatter of belief, he can grow a mountain. Do you think the great apostles didn't have doubt? Peter had doubt. Paul had doubt. 
and yet they kept walking one foot in front of the other, praising God, asking, please show me more. When's the last time you asked God to show you more? There are so many Christians who walk through life and they don't ask for more. And I've read this Bible a couple times. <laughs> and if there's one thing I know about God, is he wants you to ask for more. Faith calls you to go out. Remember when I said that your life, your story of faith is a painting? Vincent van Gogh, or Vincent van Gogh, as some people say. Starry, starry night, you know. A wonderful Dutch painter had some of the most crippling self-doubt known to man. Really, he had uh, mental health issues that at the time people weren't equipped to help him deal with. And his impulse was to do these beautiful paintings and to never show anyone. And if Van Gogh had never shown anyone, these amazing works, art as we understand it, would be utterly different. If you don't know who I'm talking about, get your smartphone out, type in Starry Night, and look at it right now. Naomi, how hard would it be to get a picture of it up on? We could put it up there and we could just leave it as far as I'm concerned. It's gorgeous. If you could do that for me, that'd be great. If not, you've got devices. <laughs> or you can wait till after. That's fine, too. But yeah, you get my point. This man, who did not think he had it in him, he started painting when he was like 21 years old. That's really late to be a painter. Can you imagine being 21 years old and be like, I want to be a ballerina. Sorry, home slice, it's not going to work out for you. Not saying you can't try, but mm, success is probably going to be limited. And yet, he still persevered and pushed that work out there. Your faith is a greater work than even Starry Night. Because it is changing a life fundamentally. There it is. Does that look like what a Starry Night looks like? Yes and no. It's hyper-realized. It's got broad strokes. This is a painting that some would look like and say, at the time, a child could do better. And yet we look at that and say, that is a beautiful soul. Can people look at your story of faith and say the same? Now hear me, hear me say this. I'm going to say this loud and clear. Van Gogh suffered. Van Gogh had mistakes. Van Gogh ultimately could not drive out his demons on his own, and he killed himself, which is sad. And yet his work echoes through your ages. Why am I saying this? Because despite your mistakes, despite your failings, despite the times that you just thought you weren't good enough, despite your mental health issues, despite your weight issues, despite your pornography addiction, your alcoholism, your drug addiction— Despite all that, God is still making a beautiful portrait even more beautiful and timeless than this. Because only God can change the core of who you are, can turn you from darkness into the light, a fundamental way of changing how you think and how you feel. Anyone here who's ever had a conversation with another adult about politics knows how hard it is to change someone's mind about anything, let alone everything. 
faith is the first step to that change. And faith calls you to go out. We're going to go back into Hebrews here, starting at verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, pardon me, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac, pardon me, and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, where designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Those all died in faith, not receiving the thi- no, sorry, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that there were strangers and exiles on earth. God lives us, sorry, this is me now. <laughs> God calls us to live outwards, not to die inwards. Almost all of the people listed in these passages left. They went out. They asked for things that were impossible. And God asked things of them that were impossible, and in his power they were accomplished. All of the people mentioned here in Hebrews, and well, all of Hebrews, have died. And yet their stories remain with us. Your story will also remain, perhaps not in the way you imagine. Your children will see the faith you show them. Your neighbors will see the faith you show them. Your enemies will see the faith you show them. This radical way of living, going out at the calling of an invisible God, will make you stand out. Will make others question what you believe and will make you repugnant to some. Will make you icky. (laughs) The road of faith has pain and many moments of anguish, but in that it mirrors Christ's own journey. Jesus walked through pain and anguish and struggle, but joy and victory and purpose in greater measure also. We do not earn our salvation through faith. It is granted to us by it. I am not more saved than you because I went to Bible college. (laughs) Because I'm up here right now. I can send you my notes when we're done. (laughs) And yet, the first step is faith, saying, I believe, and God will be faithful to you also. Does that mean your life will be perfect? No. Jesus Christ, Son of God, beaten for our sins, crucified, whipped, openly mocked. And by the way, openly mocked, when we think about that, we think, oh, in the Gospels, people said mean things to him. You turn on the TV, and he's still being openly mocked. Because they do not know his victory. 
And we might get hot and bothered about that on the TV. Oh, that guy said Jesus Christ, and that's really bad. And don't get me wrong, it says the scriptures, do not use my name in vain. But if that gets you annoyed, and if that gets you uptight to the point where you are then cruel to that person in kind, in your thoughts and feelings, you're doing it wrong. Because as Christ is being crucified, what does he say of those who are crucifying him? Forgive them. Do you say forgive them? For they do not know what they do. Your eyes have been opened. Do not condemn those whose eyes are closed. It's not your job. Your job is to show what this means. What does that mean? Forgive them for they do not know what they do. And for the one that hears that love and turns, welcome in. You're invited. You're welcome to be part of this church no matter what your screw-ups are. Nothing you can do can take this away. You're not bigger than God. You're not bigger than Jesus Christ. You're not bigger than the cross. So stop thinking for a second that this one bad thing that you do over and over again is enough to take that away because if that's enough, we believe in nothing. But if you believe that that instead has power over your sin, that you are still clean even when you think you are dirty, that is understanding God rightly. That is faith, and that's where it starts. Let's continue to mosey along here through Hebrews, starting at verse 17 again. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he had received the promises in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. In some translations, that they saw the beautiful, or sorry, saw the sun was unusual, which is interesting. <laughs> By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to be rewarded. To the, sorry, pardon me, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Faith means knowing what is promised, and also knowing where the end of our vision is. In other words, faith means that I never will have the full picture. I will never know God's complete plan. And that is scary to us. We love knowing the plan. We love, Sarah and I <laughs> um, often will get on each other's nerves because neither of us know what the plan is, and there should be a plan. You can't just go somewhere and not have a plan, especially with a 19-year-old, uh, sorry, not 19-year-old, I missed some years. 19-month-year-old, no, 19-month-old baby, Luna. You'll see her later. 
And so we need a plan. And when we don't know what the plan is, we get annoyed at each other. We clash a little bit, right? Partly because we have our own ideas of what the plan should be and all that sort of thing. And faith asks us not to know the plan, and that's really frustrating. One of the ways in which humankind tries to control its fate is by making this story about us. Right? And this is a sneaky, sneaky, sneaky thing. Because our media is about us. It's about the triumph of the special one. Right? We have t-shirts that say things like, I'm with stupid, and it's pointing this way, and it's like, I'm the guy, look at me. I don't know why that came into my head just now. But the way we view life, obviously, is hard to deny this, but we approach it entirely through these, through our eyes, right? And obviously, we, that's the way we are. We have eyes, we see, that's how we see life. But the Christian, the believer, the faithful one has to say, I am not the center of the story. My victories or my failings do not change Christ's victory. My successes or my failings don't mean that his love for me is any less. If we make the story all about us all the time, that means our faith is about us, how much we can achieve, the power we have, how good we look to others. And you have to, I'm sure most of you agree with me that how good we look to others is meaningless. It's frivolous because this guy on the street that cuts me off isn't going to remember who I am unless I honk at him, and then he'll remember that I'm the tool who honked at him and got a little too close because he's an aggressive driver. Um, I need to slow down here, but one of, like I said, when we make the story about us, this faithfulness story, I have a great faith, I am strong, I know the answers, I know how to defend my faith, I'm a great apologeticist, that loses mystery and that also loses the authority. If we rely on how clever we're going to be to show someone love and to show someone the gospel, that is a failing because we suck at it. But God's spirit is amazing at it. God's Spirit is powerful. God's Spirit is everywhere, and everyone who believes hears the whisper of the Spirit. So what's your job? Be there and be open. Because cleverness doesn't win anybody to the kingdom. Know your faith. Yes, absolutely. Know how to defend it. Great. Love the God, Lord God with your heart, mind, and soul. That's pretty cumulative, right? So yes, read your Bible, read great Christian scholars, read the other side too. Be aware, but ultimately realize that your power comes not from your own understanding, but from the faith given to you via the Holy Spirit. Some of you have gone through your life and you've shared the gospel thousands of times and you've had you know, a bunch of people come to church and maybe believe. And some of you haven't even asked one person yet, and I'm not here to cast shame on you for that. Because your story is going to be very different. But you still need to be willing to go and to be there. My last point here is faith does not always mean Verse 29. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. 
but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, become mighty in war, and put foreign enemies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Faith in Jesus Christ isn't going to get you a new BMW. It's going to get you a lot of trouble. It's going to get you poverty. It's going to get you violence in some cases. It's going to get you struggle. It's going to get you anguish. It's going to get you depression. It's going to get you struggle. And you're looking at me being right now being like, then why should I believe, Rob? This sounds pretty bad. And that's the beauty of faith. It's saying, yes, but also, I have a victory that persists now, in this time. I am changed. I believe. The Spirit speaks to me daily and encourages me and says, even though you failed, you are loved. Even though you have war and struggle, I care for you. That is what God is speaking to you now and in this moment and always, because when he sees you, he sees his son's faith and he loves his son. And that is accomplished through faith, not by being special or being super great or being awesome at the Bible or all that kind of stuff. Should service follow faith? Absolutely. But that's a different sermon. Right now we're talking about how faith means that you are perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect because Christ is perfect. Do you feel perfect this morning? No. <laughs> I sure don't. When I get a chance to preach, I spend a lot of time prepping. And I'm a very easily distractible person, and I get distracted really easily. <laughs> That's what I just said. Um, and so sometimes through the week, you feel this, this feeling where you don't have any, anything to say, Rob. You're preaching, but you have no power. You're preaching this week, but you don't know what you're talking about. You're preaching this week, but on and on it goes. And sometimes, I hate to admit it, it that gets at me a little bit. Wednesday night, I was driving back through from youth. Um, we have youth here Wednesday nights at 7.30. Youth and young adults are invited to come. Um, and I was driving back, and I felt so broken. I felt like I had no power in ministry. I felt like I was just, do, I was just entertaining people or I was just doing whatever and I could, wasn't doing anything to change anyone's mind or, or make a difference in this world. So I was driving home and, and um, 
side step for a second. As some of you know, I, my background, I'm a musician, and uh, the kind of music I, I really loved kind of playing was, is death metal, like extreme heavy metal, all that sort of stuff. And so I put on some music, some Christian uh, heavy metal, which if you're curious about that, we can talk later. And I used to be a guitar player, or I still am a guitar player, but I also used to scream for these death metal bands. Don't worry, I'm not going to scream for you now. Um, and so I'm driving, I've got the music blasted, and I'm screaming the, the lyrics to these songs because they are a powerful declaration of God's love. And that's what I needed to fight against the brokenness, to declare truth, to declare faith, seeing, God, I don't know what you have me doing here, but man, you're bigger than I am, so I need to just accept that right now. And I'm sure whoever passed me driving home, if they could see me, just thought I was a lunatic. But you know what? Sometimes faith makes you look like a lunatic. <laughs> and yet it's what's asked of us because this over here to the world's eyes is ridiculous. But through faith, through our eyes, through his eyes, it has power. We sang a song this morning um, with the chorus, It Is Well. Um, it's a very old song. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about it. This hymn was written after traumatic events in Spafford's life. The fellow's name was Horatio Spafford, which we need more names like that these days. The first was the death of his son at the age of two and the great Chicago fire of 1871, which ruined him financially. He was a successful lawyer and invested in property. And it all caught on fire and burned down. His business interests were further hit by an economic downturn of 1873, at which time he had planned to travel to Europe with his family. In a late change of plan, he sent the family ahead while he was delayed on business concerning zoning problems following the fire. While crossing the Atlantic Ocean, the ship sank rapidly after a collision with a sea vessel, and all four of Spafford's daughters died. His wife, Anna, survived and sent him the now-famous telegram, Saved Alone. Shortly afterwards, as Spafford traveled to meet his grieving wife, he was inspired to write these words as his ship passed near where his daughters had died. What are the words he wrote? It is well. In the midst of losing his family, in the midst of losing his comfort, in the midst of losing everything, he said it as well. And we've had the privilege to sing that this morning. Faith is not blind. It is seeing what is seen on the unseen. And faith is not foolish because it does not grasp at what we have. Faith grasps on what we do have, the one single unchanging thing that we can claim always, and that is God is here, God is love, and God is changing you. The last verses of this passage, 1139 and 40, says, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect.
Faith, in other words, is not just a responding act of the soul. It is also a grasping, a perceiving, an understanding act. It is a spiritual act that sees the fingerprints of God. That does not mean that you believe things into being. That does not mean you are fooling yourself. That would be wishful thinking, the power of positive thinking. That is not authentic faith. Real faith is based on a real truth. It looks deeply at the world God has made, looks through it, so to speak, and by the grace of God, it sees the glory of God standing forth off the creation like a fully formed image. As I invite the team up, the passion that I or another preacher might have or the cleverness or the philosophical, like, you know, tinkering, all that stuff, won't make any of these words lie in your heart. None of these words will mean anything to you by Tuesday unless God wills it to be so. And if you're in a spot where that seems like a tall order, then you need to pray with me now. So as you bow your heads and close your eyes or take whatever prayer posture you would like, join with me now as I ask for myself for more faith. And I'm going to ask for you to receive more faith. Because without faith, we are but the blind leading the blind. And the world will be right in that instance when they call us blind believers. Let's pray and declare together that we are not blind. We see in a way that is fundamentally true and different. Let's pray. God, you are good. As a mother hen yearns for her chicks, you are drawing us in. You were steadfast in your mission, Christ, so that through your death our failings would be no more. Our mistakes are washed away, both now and before and forever, because the cross is triumphant, Christ is victorious. Let these be words of healing, not condemnation, not confusion, but of growth of learning. Dear God, give me faith. Dear God, give everyone here a faith that is unflinching, that is bound in iron because it is bound by the Spirit which is eternal, which moves through us now as spoken by the word of Christ, the very word that made everything says, I love you for each of us here, says, I yearn for you for each of us here, says, come and listen and be filled with food that is everlasting and water that will quench your thirst forever. Holy Spirit, plant these words firm in our minds through this week. 
Chase away the distractions in our lives. Chase away the temptations in our lives. Chase away the bad habits in our lives and place instead the spiritual fruits of goodness, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. If these things are pleasing to you, God, and I know they are, plant them in our hearts. For those in this room which those things seem foreign and impossible, make them new, make them impossibly beautiful. I pray this in Christ's name, as empowered by the Spirit. Amen.